Good to be with you this morning, uh, and welcome to all who are also watching online this morning. A couple of months ago, uh, we were looking together at some of the things God wants to teach us from the life of Peter. We looked at Peter meeting Jesus. I don't know if you remember his sudden realization of his sinfulness in front of a holy God as he sat in that boat, and he came falling at the feet of, at the knees of Jesus to him. We also looked at following Jesus. And again, the life of Peter helped us to understand that following Jesus means leaving everything to follow him. It means nothing in front of him. Um, and challenge for us. It's not, as has already been said, just what's left over in our lives. It's a matter of leaving all. And Jesus made that very clear. If you will come after me, you deny yourself. You take up your cross and you follow me. What more can we uh, learn from the life of Peter? Uh, well, over this next two Sundays, God willing, we will look at another two aspects. Peter wrote in his first epistle, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, he said, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Now, I don't know what that word pray or prayer does to you, but when someone is going to stand up and talk from God's word about prayer, I don't know if sometimes I know for myself, sometimes it just brings that idea of this is not the strongest part of my Christian life. This is not something that we excel in. And we've heard many messages on prayer, I'm sure, over the years. What can we learn from the life of Peter? What does God want to teach us from the life of Peter? I've got my little bits of green paper. They're over there. We're not putting them out today. No, You can take them as you leave, if it's any help, just to look back over some of the references. It's just the references. Some of them will come up uh, on the screen but if, uh, please feel free to take those and have another look and check up uh, those references as well. I hope you have your Bibles with you because we're going to look at a passage together. I know in these days the pew Bibles aren't so readily available. Um, so it's important that you bring your Bible with you. And actually more important even next week because it's a big passage. And if you don't have your Bible in front of you, you're going to miss a lot of it. So I hope you have it, whether it's paper Bible, or whether it's on your uh, smartphone. I hope you have it with, with you. We're going to look at just one thing, period of time in Peter's life. It's actually only one night from an evening through the night to the early hours of the next morning. So it's only a matter of hours. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 14. We're going to read the passage from verses 22 to 33. And as we read this, I want you to pick out, if you can, four aspects of prayer that appear here. Now, the word pray appears once, and that's it in the passage. So it's not going to give you a lot of clues that way. But we know that prayer, very simply, is talking to God. So keep an eye out as we read this passage and see if you can see four different aspects 
of prayer that hopefully will help us as we look at them closer together. Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 22. Immediate, sorry, this is just after he has fed the 5,000 5,000 plus, 5,000 men, besides the woman and children. Verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked in the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Did you notice much of prayer there? Let's go through it together and see what God wants to teach us about prayer that will help us as we come to him in prayer. The first one was probably quite simple for you because it's Jesus himself and the word pray is mentioned there. Jesus, after he had dismissed the crowds in verse 23, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Jesus, as he often did, and we're told that in another passage, he did this often, went off alone to pray. I call this fellowship prayer because that's what I picture when I picture Jesus Going off alone to pray. I picture him just alone with his Father. And with his Spirit there, together, just talking together. In fellowship. Fellowship prayer. Just coming together. To talk together. Sometimes Jesus would have done that all night. Now, that really scares us. It scares me anyway. When people start talking about all-night prayer meetings, I, I, my first thought is, well, how can I think of enough to pray for all night? Jesus sometimes spent all night in prayer. I don't think it was just a one-way prayer at all. This was fellowship. As he, as he was going to choose his disciples, he spent all night with his father talking about, I can imagine him mentioning the names of the ones. What about this one? What about that one? He didn't choose those disciples because of their great um, faith. We, we read that, didn't we? He didn't choose them because of their great knowledge. Some of the ones he chose were uh, what would have been considered almost uneducated men. He didn't choose them because they were 
great spiritual people. He chose those that he could lead, that he could teach, that he could bring them into a situation where after his death and resurrection, where being filled with the Holy Spirit, they could change the world. But not at this stage where they're going to change the world. But that was something that he prayed about, just in fellowship with the Father. There was another time um, Mark records where he had had such a busy night healing so many people. They were bringing all sorts of people to him, um, casting out demons. It had been a long, hard night. And so after his sleep, I imagine a short sleep because he got up early in the morning while it was still dark, off he went alone to pray. Just to spend time with his father. The disciples found him, came and says, look, they're, they're looking for you. There's more work to be done. But by this time, Jesus, having talked with the father, knew that his work was to go into other places to preach the gospel, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what happened when he had fellowship prayer. It helped him to make, to show what should happen, to guide in that sense. In a sense for us, isn't that what he was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, when he said, when you pray, you go into a room alone, close the door, and you talk to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who is unseen, he will reward you. He loves to have that time with you as well. It's a two-way conversation. Can I suggest that in that fellowship prayer? This is not about me thinking of all the things that I need to be praying for and keep the prayer going. That's not fellowship. Fellowship prayer is a two-way thing. As God writes through James, be quick to listen, slow to speak. God wants to say things to us. That's probably why it's important to have God's word with us when we have fellowship with him in prayer. So we can hear him speak to us, so we can meditate on, on, well that's a fancy word, meditate. Just so we can think of the things that God is saying to us. And that we can talk back to him and tell him, I don't understand that. What are you saying here? And letting him speak as well. Fellowship. Prayer. You know, we're quite good when we're talking to those who aren't believers. Of trying to convince them, you know, Christianity, it's not a religion. It's a relationship. And immediately it comes back to us, well... Is it a relationship? What sort of relationship? How deep a relationship? How much time do I spend in fellowship prayer? In relationship prayer? Just spending time with him? We, we can get caught up into all sorts of rules and regulations about how we do this. I don't actually read that Jesus did this every night or every morning or whatever. He did it often. But it maybe just needs that time to build that relationship with my Father by spending time with Him, listening to Him, speaking to Him, just me and Him. Relationship, fellowship, prayer. You know, our fellowship, as John writes, our fellowship is with the Father 
and with his son, Jesus Christ. When we think of fellowship, we often think of my brothers and sisters in the church. That's where we fellowship. We fellowship with each other. Well, we do. But God tells us that our real fellowship is with the Father. Our real fellowship is with his son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship prayer. A relationship where we want just to be together. As we read on in uh, the story that we read there, um, let me just go down to verse 26. Jesus had gone out in the fourth watch of the night. I understand that to be somewhere between 3 and 6 in the morning. So you can imagine it's dark. There's a storm out there. The wind is strong. The waves will be up. And he went out to them walking on the sea. Verse 26. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart. It's I. Don't be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. I don't know what you think of Peter's request. Strange request. Bold request of the Lord. Command me to come to you so that I can walk on the water too. I've called that request prayer. Asking Jesus for our, in our situation, whatever it is, things that we want, things that we want him to do. That's not a prayer that we maybe find so difficult we often can come sometimes with just our lists of requests, prayer. And it's right that we come to him in requ and request things from him. How often we're told, just ask and you will receive. We're told it often. Come, ask of me. Request those things that are on your heart. Bring them to me. Now, there are things when we read those verses that talk about, I'll do anything that you ask. It is important that we recognize not conditions that are put, but situations that are, are put around that. Let me read some of them to you. Uh, one of them in John 14. And we were looking at this, some of us, recently. Jesus said, I will do whatever you ask. Isn't that nice? He says, whatever you ask in my name, my name goes with it. I'm with you in this. This needs to be something that my name can go with. Whatever you ask in my name. And he goes on to say, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. So as we ask, as we bring our requests to him, we do it in his name. I think we all know we're not talking about just adding that at the end of our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, like a magic word that's used that will make it happen. Jesus is in that request with us. His name is stamped on that request. In my name, to bring glory to the Father. Let me read to you a few more examples. Uh, in John 15, the next chapter. If you 
abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask, request, whatever you wish. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you're coming close to me, if you're allowing me into your life to to be the one who lives your life, if you're taking my words seriously in your life, then I'll do whatever you want. John is the one who writes this, this phrase a lot about just asking and receiving in his first letter in chapter 3. He says, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Whatever we ask, he will do because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. You will probably know the one in First John 5. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. These promises are true. We are to ask. We are to request. We are to bring these things to him. There, and these other things that, are, that he mentions with these, they're not conditions, but they're situations that we should be finding ourselves in as we come asking that we want to please him, that we want his name added to this, that we want to glorify God, that we're living by his word, obeying his command. That's a desire of our hearts. And so when we come, his desire is to give us whatever we ask for. The promise is there over and over again. We are to come and request. Paul writing in Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, bring your requests to God. Bring them all. Don't be hesitant about it. Bring your requests to God. I don't know what you think of. Peter's request, he was a bit bold, wasn't he, to say, command me to come to you on the water. Was it pride? Was it this? What was it? I don't know. I don't have the answer. We're not told exactly what was in his heart as he did that. Was it a positive thing, a negative thing? What I did notice was the grace of the Lord Jesus. Come, Peter. He didn't stop and hinder, and he didn't start giving him a lecture or a teaching session. He just said, come Peter. He gave him the request that he asked for. And Peter walked on water. I think he, he's often forgotten about that. We all know that Jesus walked on water. He wasn't the only one. Peter walked on water too. Because he asked. And Jesus in his gracious manner said, come. Request prayer. There's another prayer. We all know that Peter started to sink, didn't they? When he took his eyes off the Lord and he put his eyes onto the, the difficulties, the wind, 
that was going and the fear came and he began to sink. We're told that in verse 30. And then he cried out, Lord, save me. I think that's the shortest prayer we have in the Bible. It is a prayer. He was very clearly talking to God there. He was talking to Jesus. Lord, save me. Was that a request prayer? A desperation prayer, maybe. Uh, a, a prayer out of, I'm out of my depth in, 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 in reality as well as in every other way. Prayer of, I'm drowning, I'm sinking. Lord, save me. Immediately we, remit, we think of those verses where Jesus tell, or God tells us, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And we think of salvation by calling out for salvation. And again, we find that God invites people to call out for salvation. When you realize your need, call out to me. So did the, the thief on the cross. Dying on the cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus told the story of, of a Pharisee and a publican going up to the temple to pray. The publican had a wonderful prayer. The Pharisee, sorry, the Pharisee had the wonderful prayer. The publican, God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. <laughs> Peter, as he was thinking, didn't have time to think of the fancy words he needed to use. How maybe he should start his prayer with some adoration. Maybe he needed some confession in that or whatever. Not a lot of time for that when you're going down into the water. It was just, Lord, save me. I call this a trust prayer. It's not just about salvation, but it is about who we trust. I wonder if you noticed, there were only, in our English, there's only three words in that prayer. I don't know what language he was speaking. But our, there are only the three words. And one of those words was Lord. Peter didn't go down as he was sinking down, just help me. I need someone. He knew exactly who could help, in that, help him in that situation. Lord. He looked at the Lord at that time. He had taken his eyes off. His eyes were on the Lord as he cried out to him. Lord, save me. It was the same for the thief on the cross. Jesus, remember me. Same for the publican in the temple. God, have mercy on me. And whether it's for salvation, and maybe there's some here, and maybe that's what you need to do, a recognition of your sinfulness before God, and the need to cry out to him, save me. I want to be clean in your sight. I want your eternal life. He's the one that we can trust. But it's not only about salvation. He's the God that we come to when things are too big for us. When things are too hard. When maybe there's sin in our life that has got such a grip on us and we don't know how we can get rid of that. How we can stop. And we cry out to the Lord. Situation is far too big for me. 
cry out to the Lord. We can trust him. Can I read you uh, some verses that I enjoyed as I was thinking of this? Psalm 50, verse 15. Call out, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Isaiah 58. Verse 9, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. How quickly we go sometimes to others or to our own devices. Peter didn't as he was sinking in the water. Lord, save me. And the promise, I'm there. I will hear. I will help you. Sometimes it's God himself who puts us through the ringer. Through those tough times. We know that from other passages where he's wanting to teach us and mold us. But we're finding it so hard. Let me read to you from Zechariah chapter 13. I will put them into the fire. This is God speaking. And I will refine them as one refined silver. And I will test them as gold is tested. And they will call upon my name. And I will answer them. I will say they are my people. And they will say the Lord is my God. I call it trust prayer. It's not just desperation prayer. It's just knowing who to go to. Because we can trust them. He can help me. He can be there for me. One more prayer. From Matthew 14. And I'm sure you noticed this one. Jesus, verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Worship prayer. Come Let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Worship. I can just picture those men in that boat. They had seen an amazing thing, Jesus and Peter walking on the water. And as Jesus And Peter got into the boat. Suddenly, that wind that they had been battling all night, suddenly, it was gone. And again, I can see those disciples. They weren't looking around them. They were looking at him. And they worshipped him. They recognized who he was. They saw what he had done. That's where worship comes from. Worship 
generally is a response. When we see something, when we hear something, when we are aware of something, then we worship. When they saw the wind suddenly dying down, when they saw what Jesus had done, when they recognized who he was, they worshipped him. But sometimes worship is sometimes a response to his great power. His creation power sometimes brings us to worship. Sometimes it's his sacrifice. What he did for me and dying for me and taking my sins, that's the worship. That, that's what brings worship in my heart to him. Who he is. What he has done. Not always an easy thing to worship. I know for myself I do find it so much easier when it's a, in response to something. Suddenly I find that worship coming up in my heart. It's a bit hard on a Sunday morning, <clears throat> getting ready to come to church, getting the children ready and the, uh, and the missing things and the cries and the, all the noise that's going on and sometimes words said between parents or whatever. I'm not thinking of anyone particular here. And the thought's going, I haven't even worked out what we're going to have for lunch. Is it even out of the freezer yet? And as we come out of the door, oh, I meant to cut that grass this weekend, never got it done. Getting into the car, there's noise. Maybe there's silence between some. Arrive at church, someone meets at church. Lovely to see you. The smile goes on. Yes, it's lovely to be here. And then back in, into the chairs and getting people settled and the noise and the, and the fuss and the thoughts that are still going on. I still don't know what we're going to have for lunch. I, I really miss that. And then someone stands up and says, let's worship. Yeah, we sing the hymn, but we haven't a clue what we're singing. Our thoughts are still on those other things. What did he mean when he said that? What did she mean when she said that? Not always easy. Maybe it's easier sometimes when we come to the table. I, I must say for myself, I find that much easier because now my thoughts are focused on him. Remember me. I see the bread and the wine and they remind me of what he did for me. Someone reads something or shares something that brings him in front of me. And then sometimes the worship just wells up to him. What's a quiet worship? It comes in all sorts of ways. But it comes best in response when our thoughts, our conversations, our, our, our pictures of him, when we're looking only to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will help us in that. You know, before Jesus went back to heaven uh, with the disciples, he told them that he would ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit. What would the Holy Spirit do? Here's some of the things that he said. Let's see if I can pick out some of these things. From John 14. He said, the, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will remind you of my words, Jesus said. The next chapter, he again talks about the Holy Spirit coming. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, said Jesus. Chapter 16, talking again of the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me, said Jesus. He will remind you of my words. He will glorify me. He will bear witness about me. He will help us to worship him. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he told her, God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do, helping us to worship him. Oh, it would be easier, wouldn't it, if it was Jesus that was standing up here and I could physically see him with my eyes, then that would be easy to worship him. I'm struck by the last verses of Luke 24. Jesus has just ascended back to heaven. The disciples are there. He has just disappeared from their sight. He had blessed them and gone. What a sad bunch they would be without Jesus. That's not what we read or what we read there. Let me read it to you. It's better that you get it as Luke wrote it. While Jesus blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him. I would have expected the worship to have been before he ascended to heaven. No, this was after he ascended to heaven. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem very sad. No, with great joy. And were continually in the temple. Praising God. Worship. Joy. Praise. And Jesus had just gone from them. No wonder Peter writes in his letter, you love him. Though you haven't seen him, you love him and you're filled with an inexpressible joy. Even though we don't see him with our physical eyes, we're encouraged to look to Jesus. And as we look, the author and finisher of our faith, as we see what, who he is and what he has done, from our hearts will come that worship. Fellowship prayer, request prayer, trust prayer, worship prayer. Oh, you say, Michael, you've made prayer worse. I haven't time for all that prayer. I don't know what Peter thought. It just sort of happened there, didn't it? Where did it come from? All these different aspects of prayer. Well, I think it comes right back to where we started with our fellowship prayer. It comes back to relationship. Oh, Christianity and my salvation, it's it's not a religion. It's a relationship. And as that relationship grows, We will find it easier 
just to fellowship with him, spend time with him, listening, talking to him. We will find it easy just to bring our requests to him, knowing that he will answer. He will be the first one we will go to when things are difficult, when we're out of our depth, because we know we can trust him. He is the one that we want to worship. Let me just finish with the words of Peter. Again from his first letter. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. That he may lift you up. Cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you. We have a relationship. We can grow in that relationship. It's a relationship of someone who cares for us. Well, may it help us in our, whether we call it prayer or not, but in our relationship with him. May it help us to grow and enjoy and trust as we talk to him. Let's talk to him now. Father, we do thank you for your care for us. Thank you that we matter to you. Thank you that you want to be there for us. Thank you that you want to answer our requests, that you want to be there to help us when we're struggling. Thank you, Father, just that you want to spend time with us and you're willing to reward us for spending time with you. Father, we want our relationship with you to grow. That these things will mean more to us as we spend time in your presence, as we talk to you, as we bring glory to you, as we live for you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name and for your glory.